0: Welcome to the Dubai College Wellbeing
1: Podcast. We are your hosts, the school counselors here at DC. This podcast is all about mental health. I am Sandra Gorman, I am Michelle Estaconchi, and I am Alison Cage. Hello, everyone. Today, we welcome our expert guest, Dr. Saliha Afridi, the founder and managing director of Lighthouse Arabia Centre for Wellbeing. Dr. Saliya is a clinical psychologist with generalist training and experience in a wide range of mental health issues, looking at wellness, stress management, coaching, and transformational counselling. In particular, she has a deep expertise in parenting and child and adolescent therapy work. It is her purpose and passion to work with individuals and families and teams, giving them the courage to address the challenges that face them and to guide them on a path to happiness. Welcome, Dr. Salihah.
2: How Thank are you? Is there anything you would like to add? Um, I would like to add that I have been in Dubai for the last 14 years, and I am also a mother of four children. That's where my interest i should say or passion also in parenting began and that was 18 years ago when i was expecting my first child so i have four children three of them who are teenagers so that counts for two so i have like nine children it feels like and um and so now i have three teenagers and a seven year old and um yeah just trying to do this thing called parenting in the 21st century
1: That's fantastic, and I think we're all going to learn so much from you today, because today um, Dr. Siliha will be talking about the secrets of parenting an adolescent.
3: Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing your your wisdom today. Um, I wonder if we could start by thinking about or asking you about what do you feel the global state of child and adolescent mental health is? Where are we as a world right now? In that sense,
2: so the research we're we're finding right now is that um, since COVID, uh, we don't have all the stats in place just yet, but we do know that child and mental health, the symptoms have uh, increased and intensified. So that's one thing we know. How many there are? Is it one in five, one in four, one in seven? It's inconclusive right now, but we have statistics from 2019, so pre-COVID era. Uh, But mental health conditions are the leading cause of disability in young people. Young people, this would be children and adolescents. Globally. So, neuropsychiatric issues are the number one cause of disability. We also know that suicide is the second leading cause of death Mm -hmm. after traffic accidents in people 15 to 29 years of age. So, people are really suffering, young people are really suffering. We also know that half of the mental health conditions really switch on by the age of 14. So, we are starting to see the symptoms and the diagnoses by the age of 14 and three-fourths by their early 20s. So it is a very sensitive time for young people. And the age of when symptoms are just increasing is getting younger and younger. So that's where we're at right now. Um, and, And I think that is a pretty concerning issue. Uh, for every you know every government organization, every mental health organization, we're talking UNICEF, World Economic Forum. I mean this is really impacting um, impacting our communities in a very serious way. Mm-hmm. I just, um, sometimes
0: when we talk to parents, they'll say, well what what do? do kids have to stress about these days, or, you know, they have such a nice life here in Dubai, specifically, what are some of the main stressors that you see in adolescents?
2: So this is something that I hear all the time, by the way, I think one Mm -hmm. of my first articles that I contributed to when I moved to Dubai, when, when nobody was talking about mental health at that time, this was 14 years ago, was the big stressors for children. And people are like, what do kids have to worry about? Why Why would they be worried? And kids worry about a lot of things. And trauma really is experienced by children because they don't have the cognitive abilities to process some of the realities that they are facing right now. But what are kids facing today that I would say 14 years ago was probably not an issue. But I would say the number one thing is that if you look at all the adults in your life right now, like if you just do a survey, most of them are struggling, right? Most of them are overwhelmed. Most of them are saying that they have at least one symptom of burnout. Most of them, you know, one out of four adults is saying that they have a mental health condition that is diagnosable. Mm -hmm. So these adults now have children. Now, if these children have adults around them that cannot contain them, that cannot co-regulate them because they themselves are overwhelmed. COVID was not easy on us. If I think about myself as a mother, if I think about myself as a team leader, it's really, really exhausting. And that caregiver burnout is really showing up. We have elderly parents that are now struggling with, we have parents that are now, you know, more and more diagnosed dementia, for example. So you have this, adult who is in the sandwich generation, who has to take care of elderly parents, especially in the expat world, I would say that our parents are far away from us. And now we're worrying about their care. And now we're worrying about the child mental health. And the world looks very different now. Mm-hmm. So we have parents that are distracted. We have parents that are exhausted. We have parents that are overwhelmed. That's one thing. But we also have parents that are, you know, digitally consumed as well. So parents have their own addiction issues with their technology and their email and their work. Um, And so I'm going to say that about just the adults that should be co-regulating because we should know that children don't have a fully functioning nervous system or a fully functioning, I should say, frontal lobe until the age of 24. That means we are their surrogate frontal lobe. We are their co-regulator, meaning we have to be their surrogate nervous system and if our nervous system is overwhelmed then we cannot do that but children are also struggling with you know social media we never had these issues a decade ago these issues are new and parents don't know what to do about them and kids don't know what to do about them there's endless stimulation that stimulation for the nervous system experience it feels like trauma for them because they cannot cope with the overwhelm of that Um, Technology is having an effect on their physical health, not less movement, less exercise, less um, connection with people, less uh, you know face-to-face time with their friends. They, they're compromising their sleep. So across the board, children, even as young as two, three years old, are not getting the right kind of sleep. Even if they're sleeping for 10 hours, it's not the right type of 10 hours because their brain has been so stimulated all day long. Um, academic pressures, which I don't have to say much about. Uh, We, especially in Dubai, we have parents who are very successful and they put a lot of pressure on their kids to be very successful, but not really taking into account all the other pressures that they're going through. Um, Social pressures, peer pressures, body image pressures. Uh, there, There also is a disconnection from reality, the real world, that they're, you know, what is happening in the real world because The cyber world is so consuming, and there's also an over-reliance on technology for teens and and young children. There's also an overexposure to very destabilizing, traumatic, and scary world events. They're not, I mean, we say, well, this movie has a rated R, PG-13, don't let a seven-year-old see this, or don't let a 15-year-old see that. But what about just the news? the news is very scary and they have it on a Twitter feed and they have it on YouTube and they are in the war zone. They are seeing bombs, blasts and, you know, riots happen and uprisings happening and they don't have the ability to process all of this. And then layer on top of that the scary things like climate change where there is no future and we see these images that are quite apocalyptic and you're like, well, what am I doing all of this for? So you take all of that and now you give it to a 9-year-old and then you say now go on go off to school and do your best it's just overwhelming so it is just a very very overwhelming place to live in right now so and i i have a lot a lot of empathy compassion for what the kids are facing they the world is just nowhere near what what We we cannot even imagine what they're going through. Um, I can try, but I'm just imagining. It's really a scary place for them, for many of them.
1: I think it's really important that we, we validate that and, and let them know that, that we acknowledge that yeah. as opposed to pretending,
2: okay, COVID
1: is, you know, pretty much gone, let's get back to whatever normal was. You didn't even mention COVID. Yes, <laughs> you know, you know, once yes. in a
2: lifetime experience that all yes. of us, I didn't even mention the pandemic, but mm-hmm. this is one of many that might happen with globalization and things like that. Yeah. You know, so the pace of life is just hectic, mm-hmm. yes. hectic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: yeah. and it's to, to ramp up without processing a lot of all that and, like you say, off into school and just keep going, going, going and, you know, get... get really really difficult
3: and I think sometimes as a parent you want to make it better by dismissing it don't you you want to kind of say oh no don't worry about that that's nothing to worry about Mm -hmm. um as if that's going to be enough for the 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 child but it it doesn't necessarily take that away it just means it just invalidates Mm -hmm. oh okay I'm being being silly for worrying about that Mm
2: -hmm. but I'm still worrying about it so I think parents do that with the very best of intention that but most of that Kind of dismissiveness comes from the parent's own inability or the parent's own yeah, inability to recognize a difficult emotion like anxiety or fear in a child and being able to contain that for them, being able to metabolize for them, and say, okay, tell me what you're anxious about. What worries you most? Mm-hmm. What is the scariest part? That requires you to hold that and mm-hmm. contain that and make space for that, have time for that, mm-hmm. have head space, heart space, you know, nervous system space mm-hmm. for that. Parents don't have that space. Mm-hmm. And so they're just like, oh, no, no. So they're like, okay, we'll worry about that later. So they dismiss it with all of the best intentions Um, But it ends up making the child feel like, well, there is no space for me Mm -hmm. to talk about my feelings here. And um, now I just have to hold on to that inside of me all alone. Mm -hmm. So... I, I do want to validate for the parents that you do that with the best of intentions. Like I remember when my daughter came to me and she's like, Oh my, my brother threw uh, water on me. And she was like really devastated because it was like her favorite pajamas. And she's like waiting for them to come out of her, you know, come out of the wash so she can wear them again. And now her brother has mm-hmm. thrown. And I'm like, it's okay. Like it's just water. But that was a moment where I just stop myself. Uh-uh. No, no. In her five-year-old life or seven-year-old life, this is the biggest thing that has happened Mm -hmm. in in the in in this moment right Mm -hmm. and the moment is all there is for them so sitting with them and saying what bothers you about this and well he shouldn't have done this and talking to them through that that is a moment where you can use to actually cultivate emotional intelligence in your children but also cultivate a bond that says i see you i'm with you i've got you and we're going to go through this together rather than It's okay, never mind, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really result in anything going away. Mm -hmm. Just like if you came to me and said you're really worried about something at work, and i I say, well, come on, come on, it's no big deal. It actually feels like, well, you you didn't even ask me what I was worried about. Mm -hmm. You didn't even care to know what I was worried about. Mm -hmm. You would feel so dismissed, Mm -hmm. and you would say, you know what, she's not the person to talk to because she never listens. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, I've worked with kids before, and I said, well, why don't you tell your mom this? She never listens. Why don't you tell your dad that? No, he's just going to go into a lecture. Like, they just know that this is not a person that I can talk to about these things. And we want them to talk to us, don't we? We do. Mm. And we're so afraid. And we're so afraid as parents. Um, when they come and tell us, we just move into this kind of lecture space. Like, you know, do this, do this, problem solving. Like, And that's a moment that we could have actually built a connection as well as give advice towards the end. Problem solving is part of that interaction, but all the way at the end of that interaction rather than right up front where you haven't done the processing and metabolizing and digesting and then problem solving. That's a whole other thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's
1: it. And and the adolescents, they have, um, they have such a journey to navigate already through their teenage years and they already have a set of tasks that they need to get through and developmentally as well can we talk a bit about that
2: yes so i the tasks of adolescence and you know i can say a broad stroke it's identity formation Um, and and that's a very very broad stroke Mm -hmm. but there was really interesting research done years ago Uh, several years ago, not years ago, but like several years ago with MIT and Harvard coming together. Um, And it was a center for health and communication where 20 researchers and practitioners looked at media policy, uh, policymakers, parents, and uh, across ethnic groups and cultures. And they found that there were a few tasks, um, 12, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that they needed to go through. In order for them to just say okay well i've done this kind of checklist of getting my kids equipped and ready for the world so i will just go through those now yeah um and so the the first one really is that really supporting our children in developing and applying their abstract thinking skills now teens typically undergo a, a profound changes in the way they think during adolescence and a lot of that has to do with brain development So allowing them space and questioning them and, you know, coaching them to effectively understand and coordinate abstract ideas is going to be one of the tasks of adolescents. So they start to think about possibilities, which is not something they could have done earlier, hypotheses, plan ahead. So their frontal lobe is fully on fire at this point, thinking. Um, and thinking about thinking. So, metacognition is also happening. Let me think about this, and let me think about thinking about this. Um, and constructing their philosophies is going to be part of that. So, developing and applying abstract thinking is going to be one. The second thing is going to be developing and applying new perspectives on human relationships. We're seeing a lot of this go a little bit sideways right now with social media, really interrupting this task. Um, How you make friends, how you you know, stop being friends, how you uh, fight for your relationships, how you heal relationships, how do you repair relationships. All of that has gone a little bit sideways with social media. With one click of a button, everything is gone and you are deleted. And so this is really something I'm quite concerned about. But teens typically acquire a very powerful new ability to um, understand human relationships in this in this space of preteen teenage years. Um, They, they, this ability of theory of mind, putting myself in other people's shoes, they take account, they take perspective of the other person. And that is, um, like I said, is being stunted, but is something that we almost have to force. Like, what do you think they feel? What do you think they want? What do you think they're struggling with? This is something that we're going to have to coach them on. Because the world is becoming more and more I-centric. Look at what I ate. Look at what I did. Look at where I traveled. Look at where I shopped. And and this kind of social media emphasis on the I philosophy is just I generation, I would call them, is creating children. And the research shows there's a rise in narcissistic traits. So I'm not calling it a personality disorder, just to be clear, but narcissistic traits where this inflated sense of self and inflated sense of self importance is there, but also this decrease in empathy. Like, I just don't feel you. And so, decrease in empathy, increase in cyberbullying, increase in, you know, uh, or decrease in social responsibility. And then it just goes on from there. So, this new perspective on human relationships is supposed to be happening during their teenage years. They're also, the third thing would be to adjust to sexually maturing bodies and feelings. Their bodies, their brains are changing at this time. So who am I in this space? How do I navigate um, these relationships? How do I navigate my changing body? That is a task of adolescence. And we already know what's happening in that front, too, because there's a lot of confusion around gender and sexuality, and that is something we have to help them navigate as to where are you inside of yourself right now, and where are you, how are you feeling about that? But it is a very confusing time, and just a rapidly just, you know, hormones are kicking in, the brain is changing, the body is changing, all at the same time. I always tell parents that, remember when you were pregnant, now, imagine that like times five years, because this is what, like, it's exhausting. Um, their circadian rhythms shift at this time, too. So hormonally and circadianly, like, all of that is changing for them. Um, and girls have to navigate two cycles, whether it's the circadian rhythms and the infradian rhythms, which is their cycle thinking that they have to think about. So it's just a lot mm-hmm. that they have to go through when it comes to their bodies and their feelings. The fourth thing is to develop uh, and apply new coping skills in areas such as decision-making, problem-solving, and conflict resolution. And now everything that I'm saying to you guys, layer just on top of that technology and you see why this thing is getting stunted. And we have kids that are not developing um, in the right way because decision-making, like with one click of a button, I'm now able to get what I want, buy what I want, download what I want. And so this, you know, we had kind of um, impulsivity managed just through life. Like when I needed to go to the library, I had to wait till my mom had time to take me to the library then I went to the library I went to the card catalog the drawer was missing and then I went you know yes I am that old and and the card catalog drawer was missing and then the card was missing and then the book was missing and then I had to wait for the book to come in and then the librarian had to call me back again like and eventually maybe three weeks later I got the book that I wanted now I got the Uber I got you know I got someone to just take me I'm you know I can download the book Mm -hmm. like I don't have to wait for anything so all of that is being quite quite compromised so conflict resolution is not happening people are deleting ghosting blocking all of that is going on Um, the fifth thing would be to identify meaningful moral standards values and belief systems the world is becoming increasingly polarized and children are typically supposed to be uh, or teens are supposed to be developing a more complex understanding of moral behavior but look at who their role models are these days these are all you know You know, YouTube pranksters and even the world global leaders, you know, there are no heroes that exist when we think about that. Like, who are the heroes here? Who do I look up to? Where do I develop my moral standards from? The sixth thing is to understand and express more complex emotional experiences. So how do I understand emotions of others in more sophisticated ways? To think about emotions in a more abstract way. So this would be more about emotional intelligence, not happening very much these days. The seventh thing would be to form friendships that are mutually close and supportive. So teens develop peer relationships and play Um, And those play very powerful roles in providing support and connection. I'll just add something a little bit here when it comes to Dubai specific, because these are third culture kids mostly. And third culture kids typically have a difficulty forming deep friendships because... They just know that there's just been too much grief involved and I invest so much with you and then two years later you're gone. And so by the time they've been here four, five, six years, that ability to sort of develop those deep relationships is... um, you know, they've negotiated that inside mm-hmm. of themselves and that grief has been unprocessed and sort of uh, compounded inside of them. They, there is a lot of benefit to that because they're fast at forming friend, you know, <laughs> friendships, but that depth is usually lacking and that closeness is usually lacking. So that's another thing that we really have to encourage in children that form that deep relationship and now use technology to maintain that deep relationship even across seas, But How do you even process grief? That's okay. Let them be sad. I remember when my daughter was young, uh, they would move, they would break up friends every year just because they don't want kids to get too close to each other in case that friend moves. And I was like, no, this is not how life works. Life works where you form really close friendships with people and then those people leave and how do you process that? I want to be there for my daughter to teach her that. So that's another thing we have to think about. And then the three other things would be establish key aspects of their identity. This is a lifelong process, but typically um, crucial uh, aspects of identity are forged during adolescence. And that sense of identity is really Um, whether it's ethnicity, your identity, your gender, your physical attributes, sensitivity to diversity of groups, all of that is forming around that time. And then meeting the demands of increasingly mature roles and responsibilities. I think our kids are doing that. Um, But it's, it's really, really too much pressure for them. I think they need more support in that space. And then to renegotiate relationship with adults. I think Parents who continue to micromanage their children and helicopter over their children are compromising that relationship. So how do you hold on, not let go as a parent, but don't hold on as tightly as you did? when they were younger so think about this metaphor of like whole crossing the street you might still have to you don't have to hold your child's hand anymore because they're a teenager but you do you may need to walk next to them and and watch with them and look both ways with them um and tell them not to look at their phone while they cross the street like you still have to be somewhat of that but you don't have to hold their hand maybe but you just have to be with them and then that's it That's a renegotiation of the parental role. That has been a little bit difficult, I would say, even for me. Um, But it is. You have to become their coach rather than their manager. Yes. I think it's like just the dynamics of the relationships change.
1: Yes, I think it's the dynamics of the relationship change, but the connection is still there and the love is still there. It's just navigating how we communicate with each other now and, uh, and allowing that space. And I think um, our young people, they have, it moves more to uh, quality time rather than quantity of time that they can have with their parents because their peers become so important, but also they have such a, a workload and busy schedules as well. So it's helping parents be okay with that it's not like I'm being pushed away it's just the dynamics of the relationships need to change now in the adolescent years yeah. so there's so much there that they have to navigate mm-hmm. and the wow. tasks that are there alongside everything you said in the beginning as well like I'm feeling exhausted holding all <laughs> of that yeah. and and again, we're back to that validating that this can be a tough time. Teenage years can be a fantastic and adventure time as well, but there's a huge amount of demands yeah. placed on them. And we really have to acknowledge and appreciate that. And, and like you say, help and coach them through all of that and, yeah. and, and and not to minimize any part of those. So, so big. And we yeah. come back to huge communication.
2: And I think just knowing the impact of technology I think is going to be very, very important. And just be intuitive about it. You don't need to read a book about it and you don't even need to hear me say these things. But intuitively speaking, if you have kids around you and all they see is you on your phone and all you see is them on their phone, fast forward that five years and just what what will that do to that relationship? Or how will that serve that relationship? Or um, what tasks are they not completing mm-hmm. as a result of that or what tasks are being corrupted as a result of that so that's the only way I think about it so my kids don't have social media they just got their first phone this year and we have very tight guidelines around that and and that is because I'm I'm thinking just intuitively the research is not you know it's not it's we can't keep up with how fast technology is you know coming out so we can't research this stuff fast enough but I'm just thinking intuitively if thousands of years of evolution are on one side and then we have a decade on the other I'm going to go with the thousands of years to say well what has worked so far and then I'm going to say well how do I co-parent with technology around me and not let that compromise these tasks that I have to get them through? Mm -hmm. Are they thinking critically? Are they able to communicate critically? Are they navigating the relationships in the best of way? When they have a friend who hurts them, do they know what to do with that friend? Like These are just life things that they're gonna need to know. And we are in a tribe. You can't just keep deleting people because then you're gonna end up isolated in the middle of the jungle. Mm -hmm. And evolutionarily speaking, That didn't make you feel very good because all your nervous system things go in full alarm with loneliness because your survival is threatened when you are alone in the savannah. And so when we think about evolution and we think about technology and we think about what is needed, just go back to evolution. If you don't know what to do, think about what has been done in the history and just try to use that as your guide. I always tell people, like, well, what time should I exercise? And what time should I... just?" when did they how do they do it back then just rise with the sun and set with the sun this is how it worked for thousands of years i'm going to go with that mm-hmm. rather than trying to find the research that just supports what has worked for thousands of years mm-hmm. so it really i think parents can get very confused mm-hmm. there's a lot of content out there there's a lot of research out there and if one person is saying this another person is saying that and the technology companies are funding research that says technology is really good for kids and then the other guys are saying well technology is not very really good for kids so it's a oh my God, who do I listen to? Um, And I remember feeling so helpless when I was just reading a lot about parenting, when I was um, expecting my first child, like, should you co-sleep? Should you not co-sleep? And everybody was saying something. Should you breastfeed? Should you not breastfeed? Oh my God, like, what do I do? And I just went with, okay, where? how did it work for thousands of years? And what is the most important thing for the child? The most important thing is the parent and if i'm regulated and if i'm calm and if i am sure and if i stand steady like that's the biggest battle that we have already won right. and now if parent is dysregulated then we have a bigger issue
3: I love that. I think um, so often I sometimes have this image that we parent through the lens of fear. Yes. And then fear is parenting as opposed to us parenting. And I love what you're saying now. It's just coming back to what's most important. Mm -hmm. What has been done in the past? Let's just almost calm down <laughs> take a breath and I say that to myself you know you've given us so many wonderful things um already um, in directing us in 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 parenting is there anything else that you feel you would like to add um in thinking about how do we raise these healthy resilient children um that have what they need to
2: tackle all these tasks that they have to um to tackle yeah So the same researchers actually recommended five things that we should just kind of hold as a compass. And the first thing is um, love and connect. So that's the first thing they need at that point. Like Your connection with them is going to be the primary source of containment and regulation and orientation in the world you know, and regardless of what they need to navigate social relationships, they, they will act like they don't care. And that's just part of what they need to do. But they will still, the research supports this, that they will still hold you as the loudest voice inside of them. So in the end, they always come back home, right? So they might wander off here and there, but they come back home because that was the voice that they heard the loudest. So keep watching. And, you know, I, I remember when my kids were young and I had three children under four years old. So everybody was like, the terrible twos and the terrible threes. and I'm like, but they don't seem so terrible to me. Like, but I was just really curious about these kids. So this kind of like catching them just be these awesome little things that they were, you know, for me, that was. And so now I like, oh, my God, three teenagers. How do you do it? Yeah, they are demanding for sure. Because they have like three different personalities and three different ways of doing things. And I have to manage and they're like three different people. And so I've become like a manager of like, you know, making sure that they are, their, their best of themselves is showing up. But I'm just genuinely interested in them. And I think they really feel that. Like, are you really interested in their sense of humor? Are you laughing at them? Are you joking with them? I think those, that love and connection listening to them um, appreciating and acknowledging them and treating them as unique individuals so I have three teens and they literally could not be like absolutely the sun moon and stars like absolutely I mean they those would all still even be in the sky like mine are like <laughs> the sun the ocean and like the mountains you know um, and so it really feels very and I feel like I've done something right there's a lot I'm doing wrong I'm sure but There's something, right, where three different individuals have come out of me that are nothing like me. They have a little bit of a flair of me, but how do I cultivate their own individual spirit? So that would be the first thing, which is just love and connection. And also providing meaningful role models for them is going to be part of that. The second thing is to monitor and observe. Now, this is A little bit easier for us because sometimes you over monitor, but that's not what I mean. Um, Just keeping track of where they are, who they're going with, staying in touch with the adults in their lives, staying informed about their progress, keeping in touch with teachers, but not like too much, like give them some space, you know, hold on, but don't hold on so tightly because they do need to learn how to look after themselves. I work in a college counseling center Um, in the US that was like one of my first sort of you know placements and like parents are just overqualified now like you guys get your own life do your own work like let the kids manage themselves let them make their mistakes in childhood so when they get to adulthood they actually know what they're doing so like did you do your homework did you do this right fine ask once but like do not have to hover over them they really do need To have your guidance and not your over management because then they get to college and they don't know what they're doing and then moms were calling in to make appointments and mom were calling in to see what the kids were doing you know like we're literally um, creating this what what is called a boomerang generation where they just come back home after they've left for college because they're just not equipped to go into the real world Um, the third thing is to guide and limit it's very very Their job is to question the rules and limits, and our job is to make sure that we enforce them. So there should be some non-negotiable. So yeah, there are some brain developments that happen, and they do lose their temper, and they do lose their cool, and they do talk back, and they do do all of these. They challenge us, but there are some rules, and these are some values, and these are non-negotiables and we're going to uphold them. And so how do you do that? And communicating high expectations. A lot of times what parents think is like, well, they've got so much pressure, so I don't want to put anything on them. No. These are the expectations that I have of you. I have high expectations of your potential. And then I'm going to give you the highest level of support. And that's called authoritative parenting, where I'm giving you high expectations and high support. Not this like, oh, but you, honey, I don't want to do this to you. And I don't want to ask this of you. And it's okay if you talk back to me. And it's okay if you talk back to your teacher. And it's okay if you're rude to your friend. No. So we do have to have... um, these kinds of, this discipline, and discipline comes from the the Latin word disciple, which is to teach. Our job is to guide and limit. Um, And then the fourth thing is to model and consult. Just think about the role models in your kid's life. Set a good example. Express your personal position, but don't force their position onto them. Um, Model the kind of adult relationship. So if you do have a difficult Issue that comes up between you and your friend as the mom or dad, talk to them about this. That you know, she really hurt me the other day when she did that and she didn't come to my birthday party and she knew this was a really big day for me or she didn't come to the launch of my business or whatever. And that really hurts me. I'm sure she didn't mean to hurt me, but that hurt me. So I think I need to have a conversation that results in like some sort of clearing between us because I don't want to hold that in my heart. Now, that is how you manage a repair. So there will be ruptures in real relationships, but how do I model repairs between that two? So it really is about teaching them how to do that um, by, by talking them through that, but also modeling and consulting them on educational and vocational training, developing their skills and interests and a sense of value and commitment to their family. How do you get information about, education and have you advocate for if you need support in school, these are all things that we need to consult. We we need to not do it for them, but be their consultant and have them do it for themselves. Um, write the, how do you write a proper email? I remember help, helping my daughter the uh, you know just a couple months ago about like okay I'm gonna help you write this and now I want you to write one for yourself the next time. So this is they don't know how to write these. This is not being taught necessarily. Yeah. How do you write a proper email or how do you write um, how do you how 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 are you a good digital citizen? Like these are things that we have to consult with them. And then lastly, it's really to provide and advocate for our children and teenagers. And of course, they have food, clothing, shelter, health care. These are things we want to give to them. But we do also have this concept that we parents need to help provide social capital. Like how do you seek out resources, guidance, training, support within the community? So how do you network within the community? How do you make an informed decision about something? What websites should you be looking at and not TikTok for your information? Because that was a, there's a research, uh, there's an article that came out that how teens are turning to TikTok for their mental health guidance. And maybe that's not what you want to do. Like, maybe that's not where you want to go. So, and then how do you identify people and programs that support and inform you? So those would be the five things. um, Love and connect, monitor and observe, guide and limit, model and consult, and provide an advocate um, for your children. These are five sort of frames you want to hold, with love and connect being the first one. Mm -hmm.
0: I just want to thank you for taking the time to come in and talk with us. You've given us so much to think about, so much really good information. And also um, just appreciate the fact that you validate us as parents um, and, you know, because there's... Parenting is a lot sometimes. So to know that actually it is a lot. We've all struggled even with lots of education and we're all navigating it. I think it gives parents a lot of grace. So appreciate all that. And also um, before we end, if you could give our listeners some information on how to contact you. I know probably a lot know um, about Lighthouse Arabia, but also just, you know, just to make sure for those of us who don't.
2: Yeah. So the Lighthouse Arabia has two branches, one on al Wasl Road and one in DHCC. The Lighthouse Arabia provides psychology, psychiatry, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, parental guidance across the age range, um, you know, working with people prenatally all the way through to... Um, the elderly and we provide guidance on parenting but all as well as how do you take care of your elderly parents um, psychotherapy psychiatry like as I mentioned before Um, so that would be the lighthouse and I would also say that my Instagram channel the lighthouse's Instagram channel we have a TikTok account we have a LinkedIn account and we invest a lot of time and energy creating content on there um, we have one Instagram channel that is just specifically for parents. It's called uh, at Lightho- Lighthearted Parenting. And uh, we also have a board game called Smart Heart Board Game, which helps uh, parents and children ages three to 11 years old work on cultivating emotional intelligence but also working on cultivating that bond between them which I would highly recommend parents taking a look at that thank you again thank you thank you you so much
1: thank you to you our listeners for taking time out of your day to join in our discussion about mental health
0: if you want to hear more please stay tuned for our next dubai college Wellbeing podcast
3: And if no one has told you today, know that you are enough.